Welcome Not ready. To... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 109, the podcast where we talk about photography, video, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that, really. And just to say, we are glad you've joined us again this week. Uh, we really appreciate you being here. Just wanted to throw that in there, 109 episodes later. Pretty good try in one go. <laughs> I know, I know. Well done. <laughs> that was very short. Congratulations. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, actually, no, it wasn't the first go. No, it wasn't, as you would have just seen on the video. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we're back. It's very late. It is. Today. Yeah, which is why we've moved on to whiskey. Oh, uh, so yeah. Oh, it's not whiskey. Apple juice. Oh, I'll still do apple juice. Because, you know, the movies make believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy week, man. It has been, as we always say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't can't really think of what I've done, but it has been busy. Yeah. I've really... got a flat tire. That's what I got. That's what happened to me. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was um, just leaving to... I had a gig on... This was a Friday night gig, and uh, I was rushing, obviously, and went out to the car, and my rear tire had a flat. Oh. So I had to get all of my gear out of the car oh. to get access to the space saver wheel and quickly change that and load it all back up. Obviously, I was filthy. My shirt was filthy. My jeans were filthy. So I had to rub myself down, have a bit of a wash. and uh, Wait a minute. Say that again. I, I had to rub myself down. <laughs> Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Well. <laughs> and yeah, but uh, yeah, got that sorted. So I'm finally getting that changed in a couple of days. Did you have to put like an emergency wheel on or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, maximum 50 miles an hour in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not that anyone actually does that, but I do. Do you remember? Um, so I don't trust them. A similar thing happened to me. Was it quite some time? Well, last year at some point. Do you remember I did this photo shoot in Birmingham? And mm. as I roll up on location in Birmingham, I realize I have a flat tire. And so it was a similar thing, you know. I had to put an emergency tire on and then traipse all the way back from Birmingham to, you know, to Watford on a... On Space Saver. On a Space Saver. Jesus. Oh, God. Sort that. that took, it took forever. It took like three hours or something. Because <laughs> yeah, you can't go on the motorway, you know. Mm. So... uh so yeah, that was interesting. What's annoyed me most is that um, not that I got a flat or that I'm going to have to buy a new tire or anything like that. It happens, right? It's what it is. But my alloys are all scratched up on that wheel now because for whatever reason, whatever coating was on it must have been not good or i don't really know what the right term for it would be um but every time i touched it with the uh wrench yeah um every time it touched it not knocked it or hit it touched it it would flake something off so i don't really know what's going on there so i'm i'm gonna get this done I'm gonna, so you should see the driver's side of my car right now it just looks like a 50-year-old battered-up car. Because <laughs> there's, there's a space saver on the rear. There's a bit of a little chunk of paint chipped out the driver's side door. And then my wing mirror, I knocked my wing mirror off the other a few weeks ago as well, which I still haven't replaced. 
So it just looks shit. It's a really nice car. <laughs> it yeah. just looks awful. Well, I had a, had a similar experience when I opened the uh, the back door of my car earlier today because we we um, we went to Portsmouth, Portsmouth Pride, mm. uh, where my stepson uh, was organising a, a stall for the co-op. He works for, and uh, as we went to you know visit and say hello and take in some of the carnival atmosphere, although it was so windy. Like it, it literally oh, right. blew your brains out. It was that windy, so it was, know, a, it was a windy pride. It wasn't really, it wasn't really that much fun. No, <laughs> I lost my pride in the in the storm, basically. Wow, <laughs> but um, but so anyway, so you know, my youngest daughter came with us, and uh, she was in a you know she was in a real car, and I hadn't really noticed. But you know, when I opened the back today, it was like, you know, a half eaten sandwich over the over the back seat, and like wrappers and like drinks bottles and <laughs> a whole lot so yeah doesn't oh man anyway um i've got to clear it out because i've got some shoots coming up um you know so i need to bring it back to some mm. some kind of decent Absolutely. state what other news have i got this week um i see 70 still isn't back which is disappointing. Um, so that's still set with Canon. So we are again filming on the R6. Um, and what was what was nice though? I didn't really wasn't a huge difference in video quality once it was uploaded to YouTube. So incidentally, when I was looking the YouTube version of it, if you are listening to the audio version. Of course, be reminded that you can just hop over to YouTube and actually watch the whole thing in glorious <laughs> pink and blue. <laughs> pink <laughs> and blue. But um, yeah, I actually thought I thought the image was really great. Yeah. yeah. The diff well, there's, there were two differences actually. Um, I'm just going to tighten this mic stand back up because it's it's drooping. Drooping. Yep. It's drooping. Happens when we get to your age. Yeah. yeah. Um. To, uh, the, the two real differences you could see is because the R6 is full frame um, and the C70 is a um, Super 35, so it's cropped um, effectively. Um, I think it's almost 1.6, a bit like a um, a bit like APS-C. Um, the bokeh on uh, the R6 or more, more the depth of field really was um was different right okay um it was it was quite different actually more pleasant or less pleasant? depends what you like it was just more of it <laughs> or, or less of it depending okay. on how you look at it yeah um so that, that was that was the only difference and i keep constantly exploring how you know how when you basically if you use any video software on mac and export a video, it will look different everywhere else on any software other than on Mac and VLC, unless you're using Final Cut. Um, and the reason for that is a, uh, a gamma shift that happens. Uh, there are reasons for it. I don't care to go into those because they're too complex for my little brain. <laughs> okay. Um, and there are... About, I've, I've now read probably 40 or 50 different ways to overcome it. So wait a minute. So this is actually, this is quite interesting. So what you're saying is if you 
edit a video on anything other than Final Cut on a Mac, on a Mac, then the end result will look different on different devices. It will look so. If you were to then exp you export the video, and if you were to view it on VLC, okay. which plays everything correctly always, it's the best piece of video soft viewing software there is, and it's free. It will look right. Right. It'll look exactly how you intended it to look. If you view it on QuickTime, which most people do on, do on a Mac, mm -hmm. it will look washed out in comparison. Oh, really? If you That's... upload it to YouTube, it will look washed out in comparison. Right. So it loses, it looks like it loses contrast a bit. It's, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's what it kind of looks like. So it, there are ways to kind of force it. Um, and I've seen a lot of videos around how to do that. And the best one I've seen, I'm, um, of course I've already, I'd already started editing at this point. So it's hard to correct something once you've started is you need to, you need to tag the gamma on the output export as 709A, rec 709A. Um, I didn't look at it closely enough. I just, I just had to get it done. So I exported it and I'll just live with any slight shift. It was whatever. You haven't got time to worry about that sort of stuff too much. You kind of compromise slightly in between. You add a little more contrast on what you're viewing and you just let it go. Um, you can't, because even if you correct it, it's always going to look slightly different everywhere anyway, depending on the monitor you're looking at, the screen you're looking at, the software you're using. It will always be the browser you're watching. It will always look slightly different. But you want it to look as consistent as you can possibly make it. Um, so I left it at that. So there's a chance that worked this time around. But this one, I'm going to edit it from, because what I saw in this particular video, and if I remember who it was and who did it, we will link to it because it is something everybody should know. Um, you should, uh, I'm going to, you need to do something up front to set how you're editing it before the export as well. So I'm just going to tweak around of that to see if I can get it, get it right. So, but if you edit something in Final Cut. Yeah, it doesn't make any difference as far as I know. So then it'll look the same. Every yeah. So why doesn't everyone then use Final Cut? Because it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> what other answer did you expect this, to receive this, this from me? This episode is clearly not sponsored by <laughs> Final Cut or Apple. Because there's because it's some it's some because it's made by Apple. It's something to do with whatever. I don't know. I, I don't know. There, um, someone out there far more intelligent than me will understand all of this inside out, and I'm sure can give a much better explanation than I can. I just know it causes a gamma shift. I know you need to do something um, in the setup of your project and export that will just, it's not a big deal, it's just clicking a couple of buttons to make it, force it into the right gamma space. Well, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm using Final Cut. That's <laughs> right, you're one of the few people who do. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm one of the few people. Few. I think it's quite a few of us. No, no, I'm going with a few. <laughs> if you are a Final Cut user, you know, a Final Cut Pro user, then uh, get in touch. <laughs> yeah, I need some support. That's what I need. Um, but I tell you what, talking about YouTube, I came across an awesome, awesome, 
awesome YouTube hack earlier today. Whoa. No, go on. All right, so, so I got called this morning by my very frustrated wife, right? Um, and so she's a, she's a teacher in a school, as you know, and um, their IT systems have changed. And uh, so she called me up and she goes like, oh, uh, do you know how I can get rid of the ads on YouTube videos? And I'm like, well, why is that? And she goes like, well, because before we had all the IT changes, they never showed the ads. And, and now they are, and it's annoying when, because they use YouTube quite a lot for educational purposes, you know, for the, in the class. Um, but they don't pay for it. I don't know if they do. No idea. But, you know, it's, it's early year stuff. So it's <laughs> yeah. like singing and dancing kind of stuff. You know? Anyway, so I said, okay, let me look into it. And I came across this really awesome hack and it totally works. But it'll only work on Google Chrome. Okay. Okay. And it's super easy. All you've got to do is basically copy the video's URL into your browser, into Google Chrome. Okay. And add a full stop after the .com, you know, because your YouTube URL is going to be youtube.com forward slash blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, so-and-so, right? So if you add a full stop, a period for our North American viewers, after the com of youtube.com, it will literally take away all the ads in that video. Now, just for that, this was worth watching, wasn't it? And we're going to cut this out of the audio version. <laughs> so, so is that awesome? That. You have to go and watch the exactly. YouTube. <laughs> and, and let me let me tell you, if you are listening to the audio version and you want to try us out on on YouTube, which I you know highly uh, highly recommend, or you know I beg of you, so to say, you know, and then whilst you're there, just hit the subscribe thingy and ring the bell and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, uh, you know, be assured or rest oh. assured that we don't actually have adverts on our. Um, oh no, YouTube videos no, 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 because no. we're just not big enough. We're not big enough for us. So no. you know, we're too small. Anyway, um, I, but... I'm going to beep out the whole bit where you described what you need to do, like you were swearing, <laughs> like you were <laughs> ranting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, but I mean, that's that's a that's such a simple fix. But it'll only work on um, on Google Chrome. So I tried it on Safari, and I, tr I tried it on. I can't remember what else I tried it on. Uh, so my wife was trying Are there it on... any other browsers. <laughs> Yeah, because um, my wife, they use... Opera. No, they use um, Edge. Microsoft Edge, yeah. Edge. Yeah. Internet Explorer people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's what they have to use. Edge and Internet Explorer. I, I don't think I've ever used Consignia Edge. Consignia in the Royal Mail. H have you ever used Edge? Yeah, yeah. Have you? Yeah. I've, I've ne I don't think I've yeah. ever used Guess it. Guess how much it sucks. A lot. Yeah. I. You know... However, I, I kind of prefer it to Chrome these days. I use Chrome. That pain that pains me to say that. I don't like Chrome. Well, I mean, the only time I use Chrome, I think it's really slow. Well, the only time I use Chrome actually is when um, it actually fact when I only use it for anything camera shake podcast related because we have our share Google Drive and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, it integrates, um, and uh, that's why I use it for. Um, and so I've set shortcuts for all the different. You know, if you are if you are an avid listener of of this podcast, you know then. You know, be advised that you can find us on social media, you know, on uh, Facebook and on uh, Twitter and on uh, Instagram, TikTok and so on. And so when I update things on there, I have all the, all the shortcuts set in, in the Chrome profile, mm -hmm. the camera check profile. And so it's easy for me to just click on that and it'll, you know, take me to, I don't know what's, 
know. Okay. That's making nice. a speech. I know. Um, anyway, so, I mean, that's the only time I use Chrome. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and um, I found something really cool. And the other, you know, Google Fonts. Mm-hmm. So they also have um, a whole array, and this is the, for the graphic design and some of this, of icons. So if you, you know, if you're doing a, if you're designing something for your website or your flyer or whatever, um, and you want to use icons like, you know, I don't know, uh, an email icon or, um, you know, or uh, a worldwide web icon or whatever icon you, you might look for. There's like a massive... The World Wide Web icon. A World Wide Web icon, yes. <laughs> the, you know, the, Is it 95? The interweb, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Netscape. Do you remember wow. Netscape? Yeah, I do. <laughs> my, Netscape. My first proper, proper job, I was using Netscape. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I never used Netscape, I don't think. Um, I, it was. I mean, everyone back in those days... We're talking like... Well, that makes it sound like I'm older than you. It's not true, people. <laughs> I, I adopted technology very late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, um, I mean, back in those days, like, I mean, I'm talking like late 90s, I guess. Yeah, late 90s. Well, I was using Netscape in 2004. Right. Okay. So late 90s, I mean, yeah, till, but definitely till the... And then quite quickly, Firefox. Uh, yes. Yeah, so basically, originally, I remember it was all... Internet Explorer and Netscape. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then and then there was a time when Netscape sort of seemed to disappear and everyone used to use Internet Explorer. That was the one thing. And then for a variety of reasons, uh, one was Mozilla Firefox yep. that came out. But also the other thing, I think the EU had an issue with uh, Microsoft packaging um, uh, you know, Internet Explorer as part of the operating system and therefore like, you know, uh, keeping out competition and all that kind of stuff. And then so some competition laws came into, into effect, so they weren't allowed to do that anymore and the rest of it. Um, so that then opened up the market. So what does Apple do with Safari? Well, the same thing, I guess. You know, <laughs> it's uh, whatever. Uh, but Apple, I mean, Apple's in dire straits with the competition commission in, in, in the EU all the time anyway, mm. as well, so I guess. You know. But um, But so... But then it kind of, it's a switch and Chrome came along and everybody seemed to be shifting to Chrome. And now, I mean, Internet Explorer doesn't even exist anymore. And what's the market share of Edge? Like, does anybody actually use Edge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's still widely used. It's got a lot better, to be fair. Mm-hmm. To, and I, as you know, I'm, I hate Microsoft quite. <laughs> I hate their stuff a lot. Um. But I've had to use Edge a lot over the last few months on a Windows machine. And it's it's significantly better than it used to be. Hmm. It's I do generally prefer it over Chrome now. Right. Oh, and I, I tell you actually what I do like about says Chrome. says a lot. And I don't know whether a similar thing is possible on, on Edge because I haven't actually used it, to be honest. But um, I do like Chrome extensions. And I tell you where that comes in handy. Um is I use Chrome extensions. Um, I actually mainly use two extensions. One is um, something called YouTube Buddy or TubeBuddy or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. It's basically, it gives you um, the lowdown on different YouTube videos. So it gives you all like, like you know, when you, you go to YouTube and you look at a video, it gives you all the stats right next to it. Right, so it basically right, tells right, you, right. you know, um, a whole bunch of different things. Um, how that video is ranking and and also how often it's been shared on different social media channels and also where that channel's 
performance is in comparison to your own channel sort of thing. So it's a, it's basically a, a stats kind of thing, which is super useful. It's also super useful because you can do keyword uh, searches and comparisons and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really, really useful thing. And because it runs as an extension, it does it automatically, you know, so it does, um, it does allow you to make some informed decisions when you're uploading a video yourself and you're choosing a particular title and you can sort of play off different keywords against each other and all that kind of stuff. So it is quite, it's very useful if you're into that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so for the nerds amongst us, TubeBuddy, it's quite a cool thing. Um, and the other thing I use it for is uh, for a thing called Hunter.io. And what Hunter.io does is it allows you to find email addresses. And this is a really useful thing if you're, you know, if you're running your own photography business um, and you want to get more into marketing um, and you want to find email addresses of the people that you need to speak to, basically. You know, and often it's very difficult because, you know, it may not necessarily be obvious from a company's website if, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a B2B type of business, you know, you need to find somebody to speak to in a particular, uh, in a particular company. But Hunter.io allows you, it basically trolls the web and it finds email addresses, specific email addresses for you. And, um, and it also basically tells you, it can tell you um, the, the base principle upon which email addresses are built for this particular company. So whether they use first name at companyname.com, for example, or whether it's initial dot surname or, you know, what, what, whatever it may be. And so even if it can't find the exact email address that you're looking for, you can deduce very well or very precisely as to what that email address would be if you're looking for a particular person, for example. So as a research tool, this is a very, very valuable um, tool. Uh, it's hunter.io. Um, and you could go into the website and do it that way, or you can use a Chrome extension whereby it basically does the search. You just need to go onto that website and does all the search for you, which is which is really quite cool. So these Chrome extensions come in really handy. So that's kind of what I use Chrome for as well. But on a day-to-day -day business, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I use Safari for everything. And what I like about that is that um, it integrates really well with with my phone. You know, I mean, this is basically the thing. With my phone, with my iPad. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. my passwords are saved in that way. Well, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's and, so convenient. Yeah, and you can literally. I mean, it's one of the things I do a lot is to say I'm looking at a website on on my uh, on my Mac. I then the, the handover thing works really well with the phone, so you then yeah. you know just pick it up on the phone and. Chrome does this too. Okay, I didn't know. That. Right, if you're logged into Chrome. Right. Right, it will do that too, as far as I know. Um. But, you know, it, I'm just so, I've been so integrated using Safari on my phone because I could never be bothered to install anything else that it just kind of made sense. Yeah, perfect. And I do find, particularly over the last couple of three years or so, that Safari's, it, it's picked up. It's got a lot a lot better it's a lot quicker yeah you know the, the um, whole, there, I, I think there used to be some issues with it if i remember uh, rightly yeah some time ago um but yes yeah, it's, it's significantly improved the whole idea of handover is such a good idea yeah um, yeah isn't it and of course that's coming to iphone and iphone camera and facetime facetime yeah and that's the, that's i think that's the biggest thing in the next ios um is is the whole you know facetime handover thing which you i'm know, quite intrigued as to how it's going to work I, um it, 
It's one of the things. It's about bloody time, though. Oh, well, I mean, it's one of the things, I, you know, I've been like crying out for for, for years, really, because, um, you know, we used as a We're going to start doing it for the sake of it, aren't we? Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, for me, purely from a practical point of view, I use FaceTime a lot. I use FaceTime all the time, um, you know, because obviously our family in different continents and different countries, and, you know, there's a lot of FaceTiming going on all the time um, between. You know, my mom will listen in Germany, for example, and my daughter who lives with her mom throughout the week, for example. So, so very often what would happen is we would have a three-way FaceTime, um, you know, and I might be, I might get the call and I'm on my Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but as you then get into the conversation or whatever, into the chat, you might want to then just go and sit down on the couch because, you know, all of a sudden you're not in a work mode. Anymore. And it's it just makes so much sense to then just pick up your phone and then hand over that call and just carry on with that call, yeah. you know, and, and just chill out somewhere else in the house. But it makes perfect sense because the very nature of those kind of calls is, is that, you know, we, of course, you know, you have a conversation, but we also show each other things like what, you know, I don't know, something in the house or what the dog's doing or what, what's happening in the garden or any, you know, any typical family stuff. And then of course, with the phone, you can, first of all, walk around, but you can also switch camera and you can just basically show stuff. And so that's really, that's, uh, you know, that happens on virtually every call. So this whole idea of, um, of being able to hand over stuff, um, and then of course also in combination with the screen sharing thing, you know, um, is, is super, super useful. Oh, which came relatively recently as well, didn't yeah. it? Um, exactly. There, I get Apple to a certain extent that, you know, they, they usually wait for things to have been done um, to see how they do it and basically try to do it better straight away. I get that, but surely they're advanced enough these days to let's, why don't we be the innovators? Why don't we do it first? Well, so I think, you know, there there are a number of things. I think there's been some U-turns with Apple recently I think, um, you know, one, I mean, to take a, a big example was this whole idea of like getting rid of all headphone um, jacks, you know, and all that kind of stuff, headphone inputs, outputs even. Um, and of course that's now, you know, that's back on the new, um, Is it? On the, yeah, on the um, Mac Airs, for example. So, so that's, you know, those Well, that's things. on my MacBook. Yeah. I've got a headphone output on my Mac. Yeah, but if you remember like that went for, for a little while, now it's back. Not on the Macs, they didn't. I think they did, yeah. Not on the MacBooks. I mean, my 2019 or 2018, whatever MacBook it was I had before, that had a headphone port too. So my, <laughs> yes, it was my 2011. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, they, they've made some, they made some, so what I'm saying is they made some U-turns um, in a number of ways. Um, but I can't remember where I was going with this now, actually, completely. Um, never mind. Anyway. Um, but... I actually can't remember where I was, where I was going with this. <laughs> They're the best kind. <laughs> It'll come back to you in about 10 minutes. Lost. Yeah, yeah. But um, there, uh, you know... That's because you had a half a shot of whiskey. That's probably what it is. Canadian whiskey too. Mm-hmm. Canadian club. The best for podcasting. Yes. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Canadian Club 1858 at all. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if this was... Uh... Actually, brewed in 1850. I'll be all right with that. This, but is, this, this was a. Did I, 
Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. Was this Christmas? I think it was, yeah. Ah. Nice. Back in the middle. Nice. I came dressed for the occasion, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like a lumberjack. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, Apple. It's, um, we've, we've talked a lot about Apple. There's, there's been a lot of um, news mm. recently mm-hmm. um, and stuff. So I tell you what, let's talk about something else. Um, <laughs> so this has kept me busy for the last month, the last six weeks or so, or probably the last two months. Dumb. Is I've been totally obsessed with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Have you been following this? Not really. Right. I have had this on in the background, like radio, every day of the trial. <laughs> so yeah, I've I've been following it. This is like your new clubhouse. Every detail of it. Oh man, it was so, I, it was hilarious. And of course, you know, yeah, there's a certain degree of, a certain amount of voyeurism. Yeah, I guess you know, but it's like the other half left. I guess you know, it's, it's this sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But I also, what I found very interesting was, I just found the whole legal proceedings really quite interesting, you know, because it's, um, I don't know about you, but I've never actually been to court. Uh, no. So, no. it's, you know, it's one thing, you know, watching court, like, courtroom dramas or something, you know, in a movie or something, or even watching, like, you know, Judge Judy or something like that. You know, Judge Judy and Executioner. But, <laughs> but you know, but, uh, but it's another thing to actually, you know, witness all these proceedings as they happen. You know, so it's, I, found it, I found it really quite fascinating. Okay. Um, but, you know, the one thing that really stood out for me was um, that obviously photographs, and this is how this links to photography, by the way, um, photographs played a massive role in this court case. And, you know, so bear with me for a minute, no matter whether you're, whether you were an avid follower of this court case over the last, you know, couple of months, or whether you've just had enough of it and you, you don't want to, don't want to hear about it or, you know, or whether you just generally think this is like the stupidest thing to broadcast live on YouTube, <laughs> you know, which is, that's, is an argument. Was that what they did? Was that- yeah, it's live on, live on, live on YouTube, man. On several channels. Did you, um... Put a full stop in. Whoosh! <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. Cut out of the audio. <laughs> there were actually there, there were no adverts. No, it was for, <laughs> no. yeah, it was it was, uh, it was all live. Um, but so so photos or photographs played an important role in this because obviously uh, Amber Heard had, um, she, you know, she'd taken photographs of herself and her injuries or alleged uh, injuries, bruises, etc. Um, and of course, they were, you know, those photographs were um, analyzed by an expert. Um, so an expert in, in metadata. And what that expert did was he looked at the EXIF data in these photographs, because basically um, the, the idea was, you know, to determine whether these, whether these uh, photographs were genuine or not, or, or whether they had been tempered with. Mm-hmm. And the EXIF data... I'm sure you know, but if you don't know, um, EXIF data stands for uh, Exchangeable Image File Format. And this is really a whole bunch of information that's basically baked into your JPEG file or into your image file. 
um, that tells you a lot of, that gives you a lot of detail about the actual image. Like for instance, it gives you detail about the, the, the camera that was taken on, um, you know, the settings of that camera, for example, and a whole bunch of other um, the details, including your know, time and date of the photograph and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, but it also tells you whether that photograph had been pro has been processed in, uh, in any other third-party software. And so the idea was basically to look at these image files and to, see, to determine whether these photographs had been tampered with or not. Because in some of those photographs, Amber Heard was, you know, uh, was seen with sort of red blotches or, or bruises, you know, you call them bruises on her face. And um, and this this expert, um, Norbert Neumeister. Oh, what a name. <laughs> yeah, it's Norbert Brian Neumeister. <laughs> really? Uh, well, how do you get from Norbert <laughs> to Brian? I'm not sure, but hey, that's his name apparently. Um, and uh, so anyway, so he... Um... <laughs> it's like when you get through to... Through to uh... A call center, and it turns out that it's in India, and Gary answers the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, and then the standard question: What's the weather like where yeah, you are? Yeah. Why well, is probably yeah. different from New Delhi? I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so in this particular case, anyway, this expert um, <laughs> determined that um, these that some of those files had been at least run through a third-party software. Does it tell you what? Yeah, it did, and I can't remember what it was actually. But um, yeah, but it basically tells you, you know whether that whether that photograph has been tampered with. Yeah. So that could range from anything to uh, converting the file format potentially okay, to so in just in generally enhancing the image. So it's just exposure, just for argument's sake. Yeah. Um, or full on Photoshop work potentially. Uh, well, exactly, and so and so the argument in this particular thing was uh, in this particular uh, case was was that. The, the, the third party software that this uh, this folder had been run through um, uh, acts both as um, sort of an image cataloging software and um, an image editing software. So, and the argument from uh, Amber Heard's defense was basically, oh, well, she's just been using it as a catalog type of thing. But, but they were, there were two different exhibits that had been entered into evidence. And imagine this, they're basically the same photograph. On one photograph, um, the saturation and the reds had been amplified to amplify what appears to be a red bruise on her face. Okay. And on the other one, it hadn't. All right. Okay. Uh, now, now uh, this is where it gets super idiotic. So her defense, and this is probably why nobody actually believed her. Her defense was that in one photograph, a particular table light or something in a room was on, and, and in the other one, it wasn't. And that one photo was taken, and then she went, or something, she went to turn this light on, and then took the second photograph. But when you look at the photographs, both of them, they were exactly, I mean, down to the hair, identical <laughs> and so we're saying it was actually the same image it was actually yeah, the same yeah, image yeah, okay I not mean, taking a split second apart it was no, actually the same not image, even yeah. a split second apart it was actually the same image because as we all know even if you take an image a split second apart you know there will be there will be certain there'll be something yeah 
differences. Um, so, I mean, this this image had quite clearly been edited, and, you know, and and you, I think you could have quite easily explained that away with uh, in how a number of different ways. I was going to swear then, but how did they screw that up so badly? Oh, I mean, having followed this whole trial, there, there were a number of major, major screw ups, I mean, major screw ups. Um, you know, where I don't know, I mean, there, there were a number of different issues where you could have just, I think. One of the biggest problems was that from, and I'm not being biased or anything, um, but I think from Amber Heard's perspective was that she was trying to explain away a lot of things where actually she should have just held her breath and said, yeah, okay, well, I, I just screwed that up, you know, mm. and that's it. I think that would have come across as much more genuine than actually explaining away things that were inexplicable, if you know what I mean. Like, for instance, the whole thing about her um, donating money to a children's hospital. You know, in a nutshell, she got $7 million in a divorce settlement and uh, she um, pledged to donate those $7 million to two organizations, a children's hospital and another uh, institution or another organization. That's for three and a half million each. And uh, she only actually, I can't remember the exact amounts, but she only actually donated uh, something in the hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars range. And there was another, I can't remember, 500,000 or something that was donated by Elon Musk in her name. But that was it. And she insisted um, not only in several TV interviews, um, in, uh, but but also during the trial, that she had donated the money, and um, Johnny Depp's accountants could quite clearly prove that she hadn't. And actually, when they got representatives of those two organizations on the stand, they basically attested that that she hadn't. And you know, she then went, "Well, I pledged, you know, I pledged that money," and you know, and then when she was like. President, she was like, well, we haven't donated it. Well, she goes, well, I have pledged it, but you haven't donated it. Well, but I have, I have pledged that money, but you haven't donated it. She goes, well, I use these two words interchangeably. Hmm. And, you know, and Johnny Depp's attorney went, well, I don't. And, you know, I mean, it was those kind of things, I think, that lost, where she lost it with the jury, because they were obviously, I mean, everybody was just looking at that going, yeah, you haven't. And then, you know, her excuse was, well, Get this right. This is the best thing. Then she goes like, "Well, but then Johnny Johnny sued me, you know, for for all this money because he sued her for fifty million pounds, and she counters sued for hundred million uh, dollars U.S. dollars even, and then she counters sued for a hundred million, and she so she goes like, "Well, he sued me, so I couldn't donate the money," and then the, the your attorney went, "Yeah, but he sued you eighteen months after you got the money." So what were you doing for 18 months? What's, um, <laughs> what relevance did that have to the, what was actually going on in this case though? What, what, how, how does that, that pledge connect other than oh, okay. so, forming sort of character? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it was. I mean, but essentially, you know, this was a defamation case. Um, uh, she, uh, Amber Heard wrote an op-ed, um, in the Washington post, um, Basically, diff well, basically talking about her being, um, you know, a victim of domestic violence 
and uh, without naming Johnny Depp, making it very clear that this this is who this referred to, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, anyway, and, and this was basically what this, what this whole and she countersued. She countersued him based on comments his lawyer had made. If yes, I correct. Correctly. Yeah, correct. So his, right? form, his former lawyer had made. Yeah, former so she lawyer. she countersued, and so. Um, this whole thing was really based on, you know, who you're going to believe, you know, and uh, really, so it was like a, this, this was by and large a character piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she just didn't, I mean, well, basically it just boiled down to the fact that the jury just didn't believe her, you know, and, um, and when, when you, I mean, following the trial, her performance on the stand was particularly good. I don't think anyone believed her before. Well, I mean, and I, I don't think anyone's ever really liked her anyway. What it was, I mean, there was, there was this thing, of course, where you know Johnny Depp did lose um, a lot of work because of these yeah. these allegations. You know, he lost his role in the, um, you know, in in the pirates. Well, yeah, he lost he. Well, so he lost his, you know, his his uh, engagement with Pirates of the Caribbean, but he also lost his um, thing in the what's it. Harry Potter franchise, not Harry Potter. The Beasts thing. I can't remember what it's called. Unfortunate Beasts. Well, I've never watched it, but oh, yeah, yeah, cool. it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, look it up if you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. I think I've seen it once, but um, you know, he, so and it, his financial losses were basically calculated to be in the range of fifty million dollars, and that's what he sued it for, essentially, so for defamation and damages. Um, and she then counted suit for hundred million, um, but the whole thing was just—it was just un, the whole thing was just incredible or like unbelievable the way her whole case was put together. And then that, in conjunction with her performance on the stand and the numerous times that she'd been proven to tell the untruth mm. on the stand. I think that not only swayed the jury, but it also swayed the general public who were obviously watching this whole thing all the way through. And so... So what happens to her now? Now she's... Well, she's basically been proven to have lied in court. Okay, so this is an interesting thing, actually. So she was basically, in the end, when the verdict came down, um, Johnny Depp was awarded 15 million. So 10 million in damages and 5 million in... Um, uh, whatever it's called, other damages. Mm. Um, Why not the 50? Yeah, so, but um, she then, uh, she was awarded $2 million because she, as part of her countersuit, she claimed that she was defamed by this lawyer and um, and the jury actually said, okay, well, there's one point where they they gave one point to her and essentially, so she then got two, $2 million. The, um, the $10 million in damages, um, you know, they stand, um, according to uh, Virginia law, um, there's sort of a limit on the other type of damage, which is like limited to like 350,000 or something. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but, um, so anyway, ultimately what it boils down to, she owes him in the region of about $8 million, seven and a half to $8 million or something. That's, that's what he could claim. Um, and uh, and of course she can't really. It doesn't look like she can actually pay that. So. What what what? Why didn't they just do it in a different state? There was a there was a oh, okay. So the reason no the reason why they had to 
had to um uh had to basically pursue this in the state of virginia was because the washington post servers this is the op-ed was the whole the base of it all um the washington post servers are situated in the state of virginia that's why this cause oh, really this, yeah that's why this that's why this case had to be tried in really yeah. that's surprising yeah it's because it, it was all based around this op-ed that was the you know at the basis of this whole defamation and um, you know case and so we're, we're talking about the washington post is in seattle washington you know the washington post as in washington dc as in dc post yeah okay, okay. isn't that also the washington post up in near seattle i actually don't know <laughs> washington state post I don't know. could be wrong jeff bezos bought it Oh, he did, yeah. But that, that would be the Washington Post situated in DC. Or, or at least, I mean, their servers are clearly. I kind of yeah. assumed it was one up. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't really matter. But no. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was a, that was the ins and outs of this. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was because it's because she was, she was sort of uh, proven to have basically defamed him with malice or something. And that's where these additional yeah. five million. Damage coming or whatever. Sorry. Anyway, so it's uh, a nasty piece of work. That's all we know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it's, all I need to know. It's it's one of these things, you know, where of course you've got these two people there. They're obviously slightly deranged and you know as bad as each other, but uh, you know ultimately, um, I I think I said this before, whether this was last week or just us or to some or to someone else. I can't remember now, but you know. There's no smoke without fire. And, Ooh. you know, I don't doubt for a second that Johnny Depp isn't completely, completely innocent in all of this. And, but she's just far worse. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. You know, there, there's something there. There's a, you know, see, there is a thing. Um, and of course, you know, it's, 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 it's a difficult, it's a really difficult subject because, Victims of domestic violence, you know, have been, um, what's the word? I mean, have, have been subdued for, for decades and decades, or probably centuries, you know, um, and, you know, th this is a time where I think as a society, you know, we, we've opened up to actually listen to those voices, which is mm -hmm. a really, really positive thing. But, there is a danger, as always with these things, that that can also use, uh, you know, that can lead to to some people abusing it the system. It can be abused, right? Yeah, like any, well, like anything, exactly. Right? And, and and I think the reality is, um, if I mean, if anything, then you know, if you believe that Johnny Depp was actually the abused in this case, and Amber Heard was the abuser. If you believe that to be true, and and let's say for let's just assume for a minute that that's what actually happened, okay, mm -hmm. then this really just shines a light on the fact that men can also be victims of mm -hmm. domestic violence, you know. And as much as you know, the, as much as I I really honestly believe that the Me Too movement, you know, has done a lot for, you know, for women's rights and, 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 you know, women's voices to be heard and everything. But, you know, we shouldn't forget that we're talking about victims of domestic abuse, regardless of their gender, ultimately. And, you know, and that's, I think that's the important part. 
Um, what's worrying in this is that for some reason there is sort of a there's a a subgroup of of people who think that you know Amber Heard should have kind of won this despite the fact that she's quite obviously been lying in court. And of course, when you, you know, when you look at a legal system as such, then, you know, you really only have a case if you can, you know, if, if you can prove that you have a case. And if you're found to be lying, then you just simply don't have a case. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much it exactly so you know um and that's ultimately what it what it boiled down to and there's, there's been you this... know even if you if you take the photo thing just as, as, as an example there is an argument to say um that that was edited because she felt her evidence was so slim that she felt she needed to bolster it a little bit sure. just to help make the point of what, what had actually happened. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I actually don't believe any of it, but yeah. just playing devil's advocate. Well, of course, you know, the difference, I think the difference in, in attitudes when you compare both of them um, on the stand was that, you know, Johnny Depp really, I mean, you know, regardless of what you think of him, he really owned all of it on the stand. So when he was, you know, when he was asked about his drug addiction mm -hmm. and you know and all kind of stuff he really he's he, honest about it all, he right? totally he absolutely well, seemed to be right yeah exactly and that's that was a that was a real difference um in terms of character the other issue you have with these type of individuals is that how long has he been acting <laughs> well you know yeah. he's had a career that spends probably the best part of 35 years don't get me wrong I, i'm if I if I have to pick sides, I'm I'm on his side of all of this. But you have to wonder how much his ability to act and I mean comes into it. To be honest with you, uh, you know, I mean, I was watching Amber Heard on the, on the stand and and in subsequent interviews, actually, just a re very recent interview that's um, that's just come out this morning. Uh, and to be honest with you, I mean, if I mean, that's the worst acting I've ever seen. Oh, she's shocking. I mean, that, you know, honestly, I mean, without prejudice or whatever, but, but you know, if, if somebody says to me, like, oh, she acted on the stand and I was, a, that was the shittiest acting I've ever seen, because mm. it was really terrible, you know? So, I mean, she's really then, you know, arguing. What her, her issue was is that the, the, the foundation. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it anyway, but the foundation of a good lie is that it absolutely sits in the truth. It has to be on a bed of a, a yeah. complete bed of truth. Otherwise, yeah. it will completely fall down and you won't be able to see it through. You just won't. Yeah. So it has to be built on truth. Otherwise, you're screwed. You will be seen. And I, 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 you know, I pride myself on my ability to pick out lies and hmm. not truth, and I, I built a career on it for a very long time. <laughs> yes, actually. exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. The fraud sleuth, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's <laughs> it's just part of it. And but if you can build it totally on truth, yeah. you're very you're much more unlikely to 
a give something away and b um you know be you know probed in such a way that someone else will find a flaw in your story yeah you know the thing i think one thing that stuck out for me uh, in this was you know the minute she lost um you know there was a lot of like oh you know this is a terrible uh a, you know terrible day for the me too movement and for uh, women did in she general say that yeah, she did say that. Of course, that, she, did. Yeah, of course, yeah, she, of course did. Yeah. she did. Yeah, you know what it means. To, what it means to you know for women and all the rest of it. But but actually, but you know when I thought about this, I thought you know actually quite the opposite is true. I won't give you too much. You know, quite the opposite is true because I give myself a lot because Johnny Depp's lawyer um, was it a, a sign of a quality bottle of whiskey. Screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, Actually, my favorite whiskey is a screw top. Hmm? Just saying. So, yeah, uh, you know, Johnny Depp's lawyer was fantastic. And if anything, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And if anything, that was really a, you know, a shining light and an and absolute, you know, somebody to, to look up for, uh, to, look, to look up to when it comes to, you know, women being able to achieve amazing things in, you know, for instance, in, in a legal career, you know? So, I, you know, I, I actually, I'd like to say, or I'd like to think that the, you know, quite the opposite is true. This is a really great example for, um, for the opportunities or, or the things that you can achieve, mm-hmm. you know, even if you think that, that you might be disadvantaged as a woman, you know, which in my mind, I, I don't think like that. I just think, you know, you're, you know, you're ultimately judged on, on you, your, you could what you do, you know, on your ability. Yeah. But, <laughs> but okay. You know, but in, in any event, I think this, you know, that was a, you know, it's a great example. Um, and, you know, a great endorsement for, you know, for, for women in the legal profession, for example, you know, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just not buying the whole, the whole thing. It's basically, you know, if you lie in court, you lie in court. I mean, you, you're still a liar. So, yeah. You know, that's the thing. Anyway, so, so there you go. We got not, slightly diverted there. Not, not taking sides Because that never but, happens But on actually this show. totally taking, taking sides mm. anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, the John Depp thing. I tell you what, there were there were a couple of other things um, that I came across that, that really made me chuckle. So first of all, we've got a new contender. Well, not a contender. Um the well the world's most expensive camera has just gotten a whole lot more expensive gone really yes because on Until a recent, I haven't read the news for a while in a recent auction the world's most expensive camera is now what what, what type of camera do you think it might be let's go <laughs> with a it's not a fuji <laughs> it's not a fuji <laughs> Hey, <laughs> what do you think? Is it a D750? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, give me another chance. Give me another <laughs> chance. Um, is it has no an Olympus? Olympus, yeah, Olympus. <laughs> it's a recall, <laughs> yeah. Leica, it's a Leica, of course, it's of Leica. Of course, it is. Well, so the most expensive camera 
as of late is the $15 million worth of Leica O-series model number 105. Oh, it's a snappy name. Oh, yes. Okay, so so what it is, it's actually, it's a very specific, um, it's a very, very specific um you know, model of that camera. So the, the Leica O series, um, it's, uh, this particular one was actually Oscar Bernack's, um, personal camera. And so just for you. So that's what the price tags. So basically, yes, yeah, so the price is, so this camera is actually unique. Um, and it's unique because it comes from a batch of 23 O series prototypes that were made in 1923. Um, and they were basically made to test the market. And uh, they really came out two years before the Leica A-series. Um, and, and really only 12 of those prototypes survive. And this one particular one um, was uh, was the, the personal camera of Oscar Bernack, who was actually the inventor of the Ur-Leica. Um, and he personally, he personally used this particular um, camera model number or C, yeah, uh, series number 105 um, until 1930. So, so this particular camera is a fixed lens camera um, that really, you know, that went into auction and it fetched a fetching price of 15 million US dollars. Wow. There you wow. Go. Could have only ever been a Leica, right? So maybe... If you hang on to your D750 <laughs> for a while. So a Nikon from 19... 19- keep using it. Yeah. <laughs> so a Nikon from 923 is probably worth like, what, five quid? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Wow. I'll have two. As they say on, you know, on a... On, on another podcast that we're very fond of, Ale Leica. <laughs> but there you go. You ever shot anything on Leica before? Uh, yeah, I have actually. You have? Yeah, I have. Yeah. have. I'd like, I never have. I'd love to. Yeah, my, um, my, um, um, what do you call it? My father in law has a Leica. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Actually, no, it's not my father in law. What I'm saying, it's my godfather. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I have shot a little bit. I mean, not not really, but I've uh, I've had a little bit of experience with the Leica. That's cool. Yeah, I'd love to go with a guy. Yes, I mean, I don't, to be absolutely honest with you, um, I uh, there's something I really prefer about Fuji's to Leicas. Okay, um, and it's just the it's just the haptic, you know, like mm-hmm. the mechanical wheels and dials, you know. Um, Leicas are very, and this really has, I'm mean, not talking about image quality or anything like that. I'm, I'm just purely talking about the way physical the use camera, of it. the physical feel of it, mm. right? Mm. Um, Leicas are very, this is what we're talking about, you know, modern digital. Mm-hmm. Mirrorless, I guess. Um, they're very clean, you know, and a very clean design. Um, and I know this can be very attractive to a lot of people, absolutely without doubt. 
But I just like, personally, I just like that, the feel of something that feels a bit more retro. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, that, and that's just it, really. You know. Simple as that. Maybe we should go try them, try them both out. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm from what I've seen, I'm sure, you know, image quality is fantastic and um, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 100%. It's just from actually, you know, there's something that happens. And I've realized this again when I went to Portsmouth um, a few days ago, you know, where I took my little Fuji. It's just something fun about it. I want to take this camera out. You know, it's fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, I just love holding it. I love taking pictures with it. Um, I love playing around with it. It's very so, different. This is interesting. And I think this is actually really important because um, I think it makes a huge difference to the photos you end up taking. Mm. I well, The fact that you end up taking photos in the first place, actually. Yeah. You know, this... Take, right. R6, right? Mm. R6. I've been using it more and more and more and more and more and more as much as I possibly can. Mm. And I like it. I like shooting with it. I don't love it right. at all. Right, okay. Not even close. Right. I don't pick it up and get excited. Right. I don't pick it up and think whatever I'm going to point this out, I'm going to really enjoy it. I'm going to I'm going to love what I'm about to do with this. I don't feel that at all. Right. Not even close. Right. And that worries me a little bit because I think that's affecting what I do. Oh, it because would... I've I've just got this absolutely this feeling, and it's not that it doesn't take a good image because it does take a good, good it's image fantastic, yeah, right um you know it's i, I haven't really put my finger on it mm. really i don't know if it's just the way it feels or um or the um uh, uh the evf <laughs> it took me ages to find that word <laughs> <laughs> or whether it's the what the evf shows me mm. Um, is not true to what actually I'm going to pull back on my machine. Right. And that just makes it feel, it feels very digital. I can't explain it any other way. It feels very cold, even though it's, I don't, and I don't mean warm versus cold. I don't mean mm. your white balance and you're on it. That's not what I mean. But if yeah. the image feels cold and yeah. I, I can't, I can't really describe it much better than that at the moment. You know, there's a thing. Um, so, so this is why I really enjoyed, and I, I get this with video on it too. And after I struggle, I it takes a lot of work to get it looking all right. So there's there's a thing. And, but then I have also been spoiled with the C7 with video. So, so, but but you know, but the thing is, like. I, I tell you, the difference between using my Nikon when, um, in a studio situation um, and and using my using the Fuji when I'm out and about, you know, is um, when I use the when I use the Nikon, I get amazing results in the studio, you know, under artificial lighting. Mm -hmm. um, like I love the detail I get in the images. I just love the contrast. I love the flexibility of the files as well. So you know, in uh, in retouching, for example, you can just like they're so they're like you can they're malleable. You know what I mean? You can really pull them in many different ways, and you can be pretty much guaranteed that 
you've got all the detail where, where it matters, you know, and, um, and the end results are stunning. You know, it, it's not the most fun camera to use, but the results are awesome. Mm. Okay. With the Fuji, I've really enjoyed shooting JPEGs because it's it's like you know using uh, using color profiles for example because it's this thing where you look through the EVF and you know you can tell whether your your scene is exposed well or not or whatever right okay but then when you click the button and you look at the back of the screen well especially actually when you upload it to your phone or to your computer or whatever it's you don't, I mean, looking through the EVF really doesn't give you really any idea as to what the final image is going to look like, what the colors are going to look like and all the rest of it. But when you actually then see it, it's a little bit, it's like a little bit of, it's just this, um, the sense of amazement that you used to get when you used to drop off a film to get developed to the lab mm-hmm. and then you get it back mm-hmm. and like you open the, the envelope and you take the pictures out and you go, oh, that's what that looks like. You know, there's, there's this little bit of one, you know, this, this element of wonder. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I really enjoyed it. Rather than thinking, so this is very different. It's not like, okay, I've got this file. Now I've got to retouch it. You know, I've got to edit it. And I know I can now turn it into something. It's like, no, this is the thing. This is the end product. It's this JPEG where everything's baked in. Um, and I, I really, really enjoyed that because it, it just, um, I don't know, it's just a different, it's a different thing. And you know, when you combine that with the fact that I just love the way the Fuji feels, you know, I love the fact that I can't, it's got a fixed lens, so I can't change the lenses on it. I don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Like, you know, putting that into my backpack basically means I have to worry about nothing. I don't have to worry about like, oh, which lenses am I going to take, you know? Um, and then when I'm out and about, I don't have to worry about, Ooh, which lens should I use for this? You know, and then fish around in your backpack to find the other lens and like, you know, put it on and all that kind of stuff. None of that. It's literally just, you get this thing in your hand and it's just fun, fun to use, you know? Uh, And it's a different experience, you know? And and of course it's, it's different horses for different courses. It is, it is. And with the R6, you know, I get a different feeling when I use the, um, uh, the screen hmm. than I do using the viewfinder. Oh, but I, yeah. I actually don't like taking photos with the screen unless I have to. Mm-hmm. It comes in incredibly handy on occasion, actually. Oh, yeah, um, But I just like f- looking through the viewfinder to take photos. Yeah, okay, generally, yeah, I, I, I just it just feels more natural to me. Mm-hmm. To me. But I don't enjoy that experience at all. And it's really, it's actually starting to wind me up a little bit mm. to the point where I'm going, I really want to take all that many photos with it right now. I'd yeah. almost, at times, I'd rather just pick up my phone. And I do yeah, as sure. well. Uh, here's a question for you. And this this is perhaps my lack of understanding with mirrorless um, and EVFs and what, however these work. But when when I'm looking through the EVF, um, it will show me an image based on the lens's lowest f-stop. 
So if that's 2.8, it will show me the image with the depth of field of a 2.8 lens. If I crank it to f8 or f6, whatever it might be, it will not change the depth of field in my image. I need to hold a button oh. for it to show me that. Okay. Okay. Which in itself isn't a big issue, but when you're floating around trying to do things quickly, actually often if I'm out and about, I'll just leave it F8 and just be stuck with it if I'm outside. Anyway, but that's just what I do. But, um, but I, I've actually taken to recently, um, if I'm out of the bout and I'm not out on a photography trip, I'm just out taking photos and just have, you know, I'm not stressing about it. I'm just having fun. I will, I'm actually, I've actually been sticking it in aperture priority mode. Yeah. Auto oh, ISO oh, totally. as well. 100%. And I'm just adjusting the aperture to fit the situation, whether that's aesthetically or whether it's, um, I, I need to force the exposure a little bit differently or whatever, I don't know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm doing that. But, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm not seeing the image that I'm actually getting from that without having to hold this bloody button down. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how... I don't know if they're all like that, or whether it's just the R6 or Canon, or it's, it's my, just my lack of understanding around to be honest, mirrorless. This, I'm not sure if uh, this might be a Canon thing, but because I don't really have much experience with uh, Canon mirrorless cameras, yeah. I wouldn't be able to to tell. Uh, in fact, if you're listening to this and and, and you got this far, <laughs> yeah, and you got, if you got this far and you do know, um, it'd be re super interesting. Uh, please comment um, on the video or, or send us a message or something because that would be something um, that I'm sure. Um, if we've got questions about it, I'm sure there are many people who've got questions. Yeah. It's, so it's just something that bugs me. <laughs> I mean, talking about, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, actually, aperture priority. Um, so uh, what I tend to do when I, uh, I mean, obviously, when I shoot in the studio, everything's manual, clearly. Yeah. It, yeah, 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 yeah. it wouldn't be any other way. But um, when I'm out, about, out and about, um, especially with the Fuji, I do I do use automation, if you want to call it that. Um quite a lot so the way i normally set my camera up is, is is essentially that i have i use auto iso but um i set three different programs for auto iso mm -hmm. so i essentially have um an auto iso thing that goes from 200 to 1600 and i have a second setting that goes from 1600 to i don't know 6400 or something and then another one that goes from 6400 to whatever the 12,800 whatever yeah. the maximum is um, and so really, you know, it's essentially, if I'm outside, I use one setting. If I'm indoors, I use another setting. And if it's really dark at night or something, I use the third setting. That's, Great, that's all, you know, and what that does is it just limits the ranges mm -hmm. in which the auto ISO will function. Okay. Um, then that basically means I can, if it maxes out on that range, does it then move to um the shutter speed and bring that down no, before it no basically so the way it I, will underexpose it so the way i set it is essentially i set um i literally set it to auto iso so that uh and this is the only automated setting i use so basically i'll i'll adjust um i make a decision on the aperture and on the shutter speed um and i let the iso 
do what it needs to do. And when it hits the limit, um, I'll be able to tell in the, you know, in the viewfinder because you have the light meter there. I'll see if I can't, you know, it'll just, you'll just be able to tell whether yeah. you can get the exposure right or not. Um, so for instance, you're good, a good situation is when you're like, we went to the Tate gallery or the Tate modern and Sierra took some pictures outside and then we moved inside. It's a big entrance and it's, I don't know if you've ever been to the Tate mm-hmm. modern, but it's like a massive ramp essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really wide. There's a lot of lights, you know, but you're indoors and it has an impact on your exposure. Um, and although with it, you know, with the naked eye, especially if it's maybe a little bit overcast outside, it may appear as though there's similar exposure values when you first come into the main hall, but they really aren't. You know, the camera will tell you that. Um, and so it then you then very quickly start underexposing because you're hitting the limits of your mm-hmm. of your ISO range. And so then I just it's basically two flicks with a thumb. And I just switched it to the next ISO, auto ISO setting that I've got. So that's kind of how I think, you know, then when, I'm, when it's evening or it's nighttime or something, I have the third, sort of more extreme ISO range that I, that I use for that. Um, but basically, I'll essentially make a decision on the aperture. Um, and then I rein in with the shutter speed. Yeah. That's really all it is. So, um, I mean, not too dissimilar from you, basically, when I'm generally, like we're walking along the, the Thames River, you know, along the South Bank. Um, F8 works really well. If, I think when we were there the second time, the second day, it was like a super sunny day. So it was more like, we're talking like F11, you know, because it was really, really bright. Um, and then, you know, your shutter speed might be around 500. Sometimes it's about 250. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's more than that. I mean, it just depends, you know, on the situation. But you can quite easily just, with a flick of your thumb, change, you know, bring the exposure back in. Um, and you don't really have to, you know, and I also like to play uh, to play with the with the aperture sometimes, you know. And, of course, on the, um, on the F100 series, the aperture basically is like an aperture ring. So it's like you're going to... Right. Flicky. So that's interesting. See, yeah. see, this is interesting, right? Because I knew that, and th- that this was going to be my question: is when do you when do you use that? Because I find myself using aperture more because mostly because it sits under my finger perfectly, and I find that the easiest thing to adjust ah. without even thinking about it. Yeah. So I'm gonna be holding my camera, and because the aperture is directly under my um, my index finger that's the easiest thing for me to adjust yeah. quickly and accurately yeah. without even thinking about it. Um, even though if I just raise my, raise my thumb a little bit, I've got it on the shutter. If I raise, take my thumb down a little bit, I've got it on, it's on the, on a Canon, it's on the, the wheel on the back um, or on the lenses, the RF lenses, you've got the um, additional dial on the lens, oh, okay, which yeah. you can set to um, ISO as well. Um, so I find myself using aperture more for that, for pure convenience. And you know, there's a lot to be said for that. On the X100 series, um, nothing is easy. Mm. <laughs> it's all a faff, you know. Yeah. I mean, it is, but um, but it's all very haptic. You know, everything uh, responds to your touch. So it's it's a lot more effort. 
because you could get your hand around the lens and yeah, you know, grab the yeah. aperture ring and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when you move it, there's a satisfaction to it because the way it feels, the way it sounds, you know, mm-hmm. there's just a, and it's the same with um, the, the shutter speed dial. There's a certain, there, there really is a certain satisfaction to it. You just want to use it and it's awkward and all the rest of it, but it's fun. You know, it's really fun. Um, and and so I like changing the aperture because I just like the way that feels, you know, and the way it sounds and all the rest of it. Um, and so I like taking the camera out for that reason, just because I can I can move these move these dials around, you know. There's a there's a difference there, um, because you know and we've talked about this many times, and I'm sure many listeners and, and viewers will have the exact same experience. It's this thing, you know, where you have a camera in your backpack, but you know, and you go on a trip or whatever, but you feel like you never actually take it out to take any pictures. And so as a, as an end result, you come back with very few pictures. And this is like, what it's like when I was in Santorini recently right. is I took 35 mil only mm. deliberately. There were occasions where I wish I'd had something else, but they were rare. Yeah. I've I've gone through a load of those photos and I've cropped in a lot on some of them. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't have the biggest megapixel count anyway. Was it was it 20, I think it is. So it's not big, not a lot. Um, but where are these photos going, really? <laughs> yeah, Facebook. <laughs> Probably. Not mine. Not my, my, I don't put my holiday photos on Facebook. <laughs> Do you not? <laughs> no, no. They're, they're for me. They're going to be sitting on the screen. The odd one I might print up at some point. Mm. Not going to be big print, so so it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Oh. So thirty-five mil, how tiny that is, is perfect. Yeah. Because guess what you can still do with a thirty-five mil on a full frame? Hold it at arm's length and do a selfie if you really want to. For sure. And I can get to we, me and Paula. We can get both, get us both in that. No problems. Yeah. No problems. If it was like a thirty mil, it'd be perfect for that. Mm. But thirty-five is fine. So why, so why was, mess around? Because what's going to happen? Yeah. Whoever you're with, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get all pissed off because you're, you're there faffing, taking lenses out oh, and changing yeah. it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, guess yeah, what yeah. happens? The moment's gone yeah. and they don't really care if you take the picture anymore yeah, of them yeah, standing yeah. on that yeah. rock near the sea. They <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. care anymore. Yeah, when the moment is gone, so the moment's gone. So just take man. the shot and be so, done with it. Just be happy with yeah. what you've got. That's, of course, where phones come in really handy because there's not much. I mean, there's no zero setting up other than actually getting the camera app up. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and you can, you can capture the moment. Which you know ultimately is what it's all about, really. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the time. Um, but you know, I was thinking about this. I actually had a, a thought when I was when I was driving here, um, because you know, some time ago, I got hold of this um, thirty-five mil manual lens. Um, so it's a yeah, it's a, it's a thirty-five millimeter a Nikon manual lens, um, two point eight, which is a good. 40 years old, right? And I got I got hold of it um, as part of uh, a bunch of uh, Nikon film cameras that I that I got a hold of. Um, and uh, and I, you know, it's the same mount. So I, you know, I plonked it on my 750. I love the results that I got with that lens. And I kind of thought, wow, this is a this mm-hmm. is an awesome little lens. 
Um, and I would love to take that lens and actually just try it out and do some, I don't know, street photography with it, for example, right? And every time I go, or for the last you know, few months, every time I've been in a situation where I've gone into London or, you know, or had, a, had an opportunity to do some street photography, I thought, ooh, maybe this might be a good opportunity to take my D750 and that lens or take the Fuji. Mm -hmm. And actually, every time I've gone, that Fuji's way too much fun. I don't want to leave it. I don't want to leave it behind. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and this is the thing. And, you know, I mean, really, it comes back to, like, different horses for different courses, of course. But, um, you know, if you can find something that really excites you to take pictures, you know, and something that really gets you excited about, about you know, taking pictures and, and you know, about photography and stuff like that, then, you know, that, I mean, it just makes perfect sense to take advantage of that, mm. you know? Couldn't agree more. And it could be, I mean, it could be, it could be instant photos. I, I got really excited when I got that Instax camera. I mean, that's, I love that thing. That's just such a cool thing. It's such a cool thing because, again, like you take a picture and you have to wait. Right, it's not, it's, it's called Instax, but it's really not instant, <laughs> you know? So you gotta wait, like, I don't know. I mean, it really, realistically, you gotta wait about 15 minutes until you can see the full contrast in the image. But it only just takes a couple of minutes for it to actually show up. Um, I've still got a shot you took of me over on my bookcase over there. Yeah, oh. I mean, you know, but you know, what's really cool about this is, it's not only the whole process. I mean, there's so many limiting factors in it, you know? The fact that you only have 10 shots per film, you know, for example, or, you know, the, the fact that <laughs> there's no, there's no autofocus, you know what yeah, I mean? There's no, there's no focus, yeah. you know, but, you know, um, but and the fact that you have to wait for the picture to, to, to develop, these are all limiting factors in a sense, but that's what the beauty is. And the most beautiful thing about, about the Instax camera or any Polaroid camera or something, instant film, is the fact that you can take a picture and you can give it to somebody mm. and it means something. It's a physical thing. And, you know, the amount of times that I've taken a picture, like, I didn't, just say for an example, I'll take a picture. Like, I took a picture of, um, of me and my mom, or my mom and me, um, when I dropped her off at Heathrow Airport, right? Um, as she was about to fly back to Germany. And, you know, and then I gave her that picture. And then when I got to Germany recently, I, I saw that she'd got that picture, you know, in a really nice little, so she's got, made this little clamp thing, which is really cool. And it's on, on her like living room couch table. And it's like, that's really cool because that picture just means a lot to her, you know? And that's what photography can do, you know? These things can mean something. And I think that's often forgotten when, you know, we take a gazillion photos on the phone or on digital cameras or whatever, is that, you know, photography can, can mean something. And whether it's the actual picture in the form of a print, for example, or an instant photo, or whether it's the process of taking it, you know, where we just have a camera that we really love the feel of or that we really love using or something, you know, 
these are like things that, that mean something and that are important. Um, and whichever way we get there, that's the sort of thing to treasure. You know, and it, you know, I, I remember. I mean, I remember the first time I got like a really awesome like digital camera. You know, like a professional in inverted commas camera. You know, of course, I loved taking pictures with that. It just, it was just so much fun. You know, but and it, I mean, I, I still love it. I mean, I still love taking pictures in the studio. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I still love retouching. And when I see the finished article, I kind of think, wow, this is freaking awesome because. You know, that started with thin air. Do you know what I mean? Um, but there's so many different, this is the beauty of photography, of course, is that there's so many different aspects, just like music, actually. There's so many different aspects and so many different ways that you can get that kind of satisfaction, that so many different avenues to explore, yeah. that it's yeah. just, you know, it's just, well... It's just the most beautiful thing in the world, which incidentally is why we're doing this podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> Clearly, uh, uh, obviously. And if you've made it this far, then I'm pretty sure you agree, because why would you be listening to this up to this point? You know? And on that terrible disappointment. <laughs> mm. I'll tell you what, one more thing, actually. That's one more thing. Make it quick, I'm tired. <laughs> one more thing. Okay, so I read something the other day. So let's, 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 let's change tact for a minute. Um... Uh, there was there's news that came out of New York City um, that I that I actually thought was awesome because get this the New York State Assembly has um, made a new law um, that basically awards uh, or, or um, supports freelancers mm. and what it does is basically that now if you are if you are a New York-based freelance photographer, if you do any job over $250, by law, you now have to have a contract. Um, and by law, that contract has to state payment terms. So what that means is, although you're a freelancer, you now have the security of actually working on a contract and having regulated payment terms where, where if, um, you know, you basically agree realistic payment terms and, uh, you know, and if, if that's not part of the contract, then by law, the payment terms will be 30 days. So it basically means that you're guaranteed to get paid after 30 days, okay. which for free, I mean, for, for freelancers, that's a huge win because, that's always been one of, the, one of the issues, of course, you know, as, as all freelancers know, you're sort of kind of, to a degree, you're in no man's land when it comes to that, you know, and um, your clients very often can take the proverbial make and, uh, and, you know, you'd be waiting on, on your money for a long time. Incidentally, one of the situations I'm in at the moment, because I have a job where I'm working, uh, well, you know, that I, that I completed like two months ago and I still haven't. <laughs> seen the money for that but you know um that's a huge um that's a huge huge win for freelancers and uh, companies are now prohibited from taking um you know taking advantage of that um or, or retaliate because they could be facing a penalty of up to twenty five thousand dollars good which is you know decent decent i should say 
people will get paid in a timely fashion for things that they have rightly should be paid for. Well, exactly. Rather than being taken advantage of. Well, exactly. And, you know, I mean, that's that's really something, you know, that uh, that uh, that's the sort of thing I would love to see. Well, it's one of those over that over time that will expand across the US, I'm sure, to probably at, at least relevant places. Uh, will, will, it, will it expand to the UK is what I'm wondering. Well, probably not knows. under this government. But... Who knows? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Seems unlikely, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean... Uh... We love you, Boris. You're brilliant. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah. That's the definitive thumbs down from his side. <laughs> He's a cock monkey. Oh, well. Anyway. Oh, well. Um... But yeah, that's um, some good news there at the end. Absolutely. And again, on the terrible disappointment that is <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, first. Like many things. <laughs> anyway, that being said, we have come to the end of episode 109 of the Camera Shake podcast. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, very much, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, be reminded that uh, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can find us in full Technicolor over on YouTube. Um, you know, please leave a comment, you know, leave a like, um, you know, follow us. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, um, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You know, drop in, um, leave a comment, say hello. We'd, we always love to. Absolutely. Um, always love to comment. So, and it's now almost the next day here. Oh, it is. My, my watch is already. It's told, to told you to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, well, about two hours about ago. About two hours, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> episode one and nine. See you next Thursday. Bye.